episode 100. Who would have thought? Thank you, each and every one of you, for watching, listening, sharing, subscribing, liking, all of the above. I mean, without you guys, there's no way I'd be doing this full time. I often think to myself that there isn't anything else I'd rather be doing than this. So yeah, it does feel like a perfect job, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like a job. So again, I just got to thank each and every one of you guys for watching our content. Our sponsors, Pizza Hut, Jiddah, and Tim Hortons, thank you so much for believing in us and supporting us. This episode is, is a big one and definitely worthy of it being episode 100. So thank you for giving me the next hour and 38 minutes of your time. I'm sure it won't disappoint. And here's to the next 100 episodes from the bottom of my heart. Thank you all so very much. Enjoy. I don't know if people know this, but before I introduce you, Hassan was generous and kind enough to give me my first internship oh, yeah. at the great Abdul Latif Jamil uh, company in Saudi Arabia. They're one of the oldest, most storied companies here in the country. Uh, they um, franchisees, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, of Toyota and Lexus, amongst many other things. I worked for about a month under Hassan and every day, I haven't told you this, I'll say it now on record 20 years later, every day you used to come to me and say, Mohammed, how are things going? Are you happy? Do you need anything? I didn't forget that. You probably did because you had God knows how much on your plate, huh. but I didn't forget that. So right off the bat, I want to thank you for paying attention to me at the time when you had so much going on in your life. It's my pleasure. I, um, I, I did remember you, you You worked with us, and I remember the first time we met, or the first time you joined, we went to a, a service workshop, I think, right? In Medina Rome. We did. we did. And I was showing you, and I think you looked a little bit in shock, Yanni, you know, at the first, but, but I, well, what year was that? That was year 2006. 2006. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. So uh, coming up to 20 years, actually, 20, it's 18 years. Yeah. Well, well how was your experience? In that my, month? my experience was that I was, so impressed and shocked that, first of all, it was outside of the city. It was about 45 minutes out of the city. But when, when I arrived into the building and I walked in, it looked like I was on a Wall Street trading floor because there were no, cube, there were no offices. It wasn't even cubicles. It was 70 or 80 people in one big room. And that just... I did a bit of research on it, and then I found out it was the way the Japanese do it. That's right, yeah. That's right, yeah. Okay, so let me tell those who don't know who you are, um, what you do and, and, and what you're up to. Hassan Jamil is a businessman and entrepreneur, deputy president and vice chairman of Abdul Latif Jamil company here in Saudi Arabia. Again, one of the oldest, most storied companies that we, ha that we have in the kingdom. Um, as the episode unfolds, we'll, 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 you'll get to know a lot more about what these guys do because it's a lot and, and I don't know how long this episode is gonna go, but I, I think when it's said and done, probably not long enough. Um, again, thank you, Hassan, for agreeing. Super, my super, pleasure. super honored. It's my honor. Thank you. I want to start right off by asking you, what does a typical day look like for you? I want to know what you have. Yeah. I want to know how you like your eggs. Yeah. Uh, walk me through your daily routine. So again, thank you very much for having me. It's super, it's my first podcast in my life. It's my first, you know, actually call it an interview. So, so honor. Um, typical day for me, I, I'm a, I'm a early riser and, a, I sleep quite early uh, as well. Um, I love my routine. I'm very routine oriented. So wake up in the morning, I, I go to the gym and normally 
It's uh, e- either a run or a workout. I'm a, I love running as well. I've done one marathon and almost one because I got injured. I couldn't do another. But I'm a, um, you know, I'll, I'll hit the gym first thing in the morning, um, get everything done by, you know, 7.30 and by 8.30-ish, you know, I'll be on my desk um, starting to work. Five days a week you do this? Do you take the weekends off? Um, yeah, I'll take a day off maybe from from a work from a workout early in the morning, but 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 yeah, generally almost almost daily if I'm not traveling. Um, and then the rest of the day is just just work, you know. And um, that's as exciting as it gets, you know. It's just it's just you know whether it's today calls or meetings, but it starts you know from eight nine a.m. in the morning until you know later in the evening. Do you enjoy that routine when you're when you're home or because I know you do a lot of traveling. Yeah. Um, does the traveling get in the way of your routine or do you welcome it like? No, the traveling does get in the way. Traveling, you know, you know, it's funny after COVID, we, you know, I said to myself, actually during COVID, I was, I said, I am never, ever going back to the travel schedule that I used to have. Uh, it was very, very disruptive, very disorganized, um, you know, took away all my routines. But here I am saying to you, it's it's actually gotten worse, you know, than than it used to be before. So so actually, travel doesn't help um, with the routines, especially when it's you know, uh, you know, long trips, you know, all the way to the east or all the way to the west, whether it's to Japan or whether it's to to the U.S. Um, it's it's very difficult to keep that routine. Um, so I I try to limit travel, um, but unfortunately, sometimes you just you just can't do that. Um, and um, and when I'm not traveling, so you know I'm in I'm in Saudi this week and and next week in Riyadh, you know I, I have this wonderful routine where I I try to you know wake up early, I try to have a healthy healthy is is my new thing now, uh, healthy lifestyle basically both both physical and and well being, um, and then um, and then sleep have an early early sleep early 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 night. You didn't tell me what you have for breakfast. I don't have breakfast actually. I'm one of I'm I'm into the intermittent fasting movement, so I'm not a, a breakfast. I'm generally eating one meal a day. That works. I've seen people drop mad weight eighteen hours fast. I, I haven't really dropped weight. You know, I, it was just more the health benefits that I've read about. Um, you know, w- when you when you fast, subhanallah. You know, people have been fasting for thousands of years. There are there are you know cellular benefits. Um, I don't know whether you've heard of. Autophagy. I haven't. Autophagy is is when you fast for a certain period of time and the cell starts to detoxify itself. So it's not just about losing weight, but it's about cleansing your your system as well. And that's been proven. And actually, the guy who who found that out, who discovered that, is a Japanese um, Nobel Nobel winner. He won the Nobel Prize because he discovered autophagy, which is triggered by fasting. Um, it would be Japanese who figures that out. I mean, they're 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 smart guys. We're so. going to get into them in a second, <laughs> and and that's something that you've been doing for a while now. I've been doing for uh, a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah. During fasting, I always feel sharpest just before breakfast. Yeah, actually, when you fast, you realize you're you're much sharper. I I realize I'm much sharper. So if I'm doing a presentation or a speech, um, I generally like to go fasted um, to those things because you you just you realize you're much sharper. You're much more on it versus just being heavy and and you know, overeating, you know, eating, eating a lot, you know. So, so I like to. Uh, man, it's just lifestyle. I, I've, um, 
I like doing now. For the record, I'm least sharpest after a goat over rice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you feel how much work your body, your stomach had to put and you're just exhausted. Yeah. Uh, childhood, upbringing, schooling, I, what, what I know, all I know is that your father sent you guys to Japan yeah. early so you can learn the language. Yeah. So can you talk me through childhood, upbringing and schooling? So up to, up to middle school, I was in Saudi Arabia. Um, then we, we wanted to go, my father wanted to send us as, you know, fortunate. We were fortunate enough to be sent, um, to Switzerland actually. So while we went to a boarding school, my brother and I in Switzerland when I was about 12, 13, um, again, I'm not sure about the exact age, but around that age was around, uh, actually starting end of middle school, starting of high school. We were in Geneva for about two years and then that's when you know, my father was like, hey, I have a better idea. Why don't you guys go to Japan? Um, just out of the blue. And um, this was in 1994-5. I was, I guess, 14, 15. And, you know, we were dead against it because, you know, we, we just left Saudi. We went to Geneva. This was, you know, a fun school. You know, we have made new friends. And all of a sudden, you know, we get shipped off to Japan. Uh, the reason, you know, people ask me, why were you, why were you sent, yeah, sent um, to Japan as as a young young boy? You know, at, actually at the time, you know, we were doing business. You know, they were talking thirty plus years ago. We were the only company. Well, the company is much different today, but but at the time, Toyota was our only, our main business. Let me say that, you know, our main business, and we were, you said franchise, but it was actually so it was a distribution distribution and retail um, and wholesale in Saudi Arabia. And my father's logic was, you know, hey, we're doing business with the Japanese, go to Japan and, and learn, you know, the language, the business, and, you know, the their, their kind of general philosophy, you know, and get connected with them. So I ended up, my brother went to university, he was at university, I ended up in a old boys Catholic school in Japan, because that was kind of the, the only decent one, it was an international school. Um, but it was, uh, it was, you know, tie, white shirt, gray pants, tuck in your shirt. And I didn't even know how to put a tie on those days. British style almost. It is. Yeah. It's British style. It was international, but it was, you know, we had, um, you know, fathers and brothers who are, 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 are teachers and, and, uh, the headmaster and things, but it was obviously such a, such a, a drastic um, you know, all the way on the other side of the spectrum from where I was to, you know, going somewhere totally new. Most of the students were Japanese, but they were studying English. Um, and Japanese was obviously was a, was a prerequisite that you had to take in, in, as, a, as an extra language. Everyone had to take it. Um, so that was the main reason I went to Japan. I went to Japan, so I was in high school. Then I graduated from high school. I went to university there. Then after university, I also worked there and ended up ended up being one of the most favorite, my favorite spots in the world. Um, some of my best friends, you know, I'm actually, if you ask me where's one of the most places I'm most comfortable in, um, I'll tell you it's Japan. Um, and, it's, you know, when I, outside of Saudi Arabia, you know, it's, it's, you, people go to London, people go to New York, people go to LA. I, I feel like, uh, I feel lost in these these cities in Japan I go there I feel like I'm home you wow. know because uh, that's where where I grew up you know um, so so yeah so I still go there now from from time to time every every quarter I'm there for work and it's always um, 
It's always a wonderful experience. Have you been to Japan? I've been once, but 30 years ago. I've probably mentioned it on 20 of the 100 podcasts that I've shot. It comes up every couple episodes, Japan. Really? I talk about how, why is, <clears throat> why is that? I feel that they do things the right way. Uh, if you ever want to know what's the right way to do something, see how Japan does it. Yeah. So I've I've been going to Japan, I guess, since the 90s now, you know, and you're talking 30 years. And, and till today, till this day, till this day, every time I go, um, I end up having a new experience, you know, till today. Um, whether it's it's um, a new location I go to, whether it's food I have, whether it's people I meet, you know, it's just so um, colorful um, and diverse in in culture. It's so vibrant, you know. And if, you know, for every region, uh, you have certain cuisines. For every season, you have you know, different places you want to go to, you know, and they have these four beautiful seasons, um, you know, from from the, the cherry blossom season April. to April, and then, or you have the, the the fall where you have these beautiful, this, this city turns into this different color. So it's just such, and, and it's not just about that, but it's, it's about them appreciating it. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, we, when I was, when I first went to Japan, and I was living there, and it was April. It was terrible. Everywhere there was cherry blossom. Like, okay, it's beautiful. You know, I see it. Okay, it's beautiful. I walk past. It's beautiful. And then, and then uh, they, everyone in the weekend saying we're going to Hanami. I'm like, well, what's what's Hanami? It's, it's, it's it means it's literally means Hana. It's flowers, and me is watching Hanami. You know, watching flowers, watching flowers, flower watching. Like, okay, what's what's that? Why am I going to waste my time? You know, I want to go out with my friends. You know, on the weekend. And then you know, I skipped it the first year, and then and then the next year, no, you have to come with us. You have to. I'm like, well, okay, let's let's go to see this thing. I was still in high school because Hanami. So what do you do? You go to this. Um, you go to one of these um, uh, cherry blossom uh, uh, parks. You know, famous ones. There's a bunch of famous ones in Tokyo, and you, you you set up a picnic. You know, and you just sit there with your friends. You know, with picnic and food, and you know, and having just kind of a nice setting and you just sit there and you you sit there and you 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 look at the the flowers and you just sit there and you talk and you laugh and everyone's there for that whole evening and initially i didn't get it i'm like okay and then i realized this is appreciation of nature this is appreciation of beauty this is not something i really grew up learning you know I, like appreciate truly appreciate and and absorb it and ever since then ever since i was there every single year I, I went to Hanami uh, to to watch cherry flower, you know, and you do it with friends, you do it with college friends, with colleagues from work, and it's such a such a wonderful experience. I worked um, in um, in Toyota. I was actually the first non-Japanese officially, the non-Japanese to work in their domestic marketing division, which was the domestic Kaizen division. And I was like a guinea pig. They wanted to try me out and see if it worked, you know, to have like somebody international kind of integrate internally. You were a case study. I was like a, like a <laughs> guinea pig, you know, I think a case study guinea pig. And, and what they had wrong, what they didn't know was, was I was already very integrated in Japanese culture versus someone who came from uh, abroad. Um, but the, the, the job was basically working with dealerships 
we were Toyota. I was an employee in Toyota. But we were working with different dealer groups and dealerships around Japan. Literally in little towns in the middle of nowhere. You know, and we'd stay there for months or weeks, depending on what the project was, whether it was logistics, service, uh, car cleaning process, uh, supply chain, parts inventory. And we do these little projects with these dealers all around uh, Japan. So I've been to places my Japanese friends even tell me, why could you go there? You know, how could you do it? You know, why would you go there? You know? So, Small so I've been, I've been, I've been, I've basically covered most of Japan, I, I believe. Yeah. You asked me what my favorite part of Japan is and the 30 year old memory. What's your favorite part or parts of Japan? My favorite, my favorite city is by far Tokyo. My favorite part of Japan is Tokyo. It's just, it's just so, well, first of all, it's, 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 it's super safe, right? Um, you know, that's something you know, you, you think about a lot, especially these days, you know, um, Absolutely. and then, and then number two, it's, it's again, the diversity and, and, you know, there's so many places to go. Um, I'm a big foodie, you know, I, I, I love my food and when I'm in Japan, you know, I, I, um, I really cherry pick, you know, every time I go, I, I book in advance everywhere I want to go. By the way, in Japan, you know, people call me there in Japan. Hey, can you give me give me a hookup? I'm trying to get to this place. Can you hook me up? It's the only place you don't get hookups. I'm sure you but, get inundated with people asking you. Yeah, you, yeah. I can give you a list of of good places, but there's no like you know, kalimu, yeah. It's not. No, no, no. They, they go through the process. I've never been in any place in Japan where like, oh, let me, I'll, I'll sort you out. It's not like that. It's not and it's works. not. It's not how they operate. Not only is that than that, they don't take tips. It's rude, right? It's rude, and I've. You know, in all the years I've been there, you never tip. You know, and I, I can I can tell you I've I've tipped or, or tried to tip somebody that they'll just they'll just say no. It's it's very service oriented, and and it's it's they're do this is their job and this is their role. Is that what it is? My salary covers the work I do, so please don't pay me. My salary covers it, even though if I'm unhappy with my salary, um, this is my job, this is my responsibility, and it's and it's, it's to 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 support you, you know. Um, so a friend of mine uh, who used to work in this company um, used to host every year the president of Michelin, the food, the food, you know, the the food rating, restaurant rating. The stars. The stars, right? Yeah. yeah. And he used to host him for, for dinner once every time he comes to Japan. And he said to him, he said to him, Japan is the only country in the world, you know, because before we register Sorry, Tokyo, not Japan. Tokyo is the only country in the world. Before we we publish uh, a restaurant, we need to get their permission uh, to publish this information. Um, and fifteen percent of the restaurants in Japan, the owners of the restaurants in Japan, refuse to publish. Fifteen. Fifteen percent. This was this was a couple of years ago. Fifteen percent refuse to publish, even though that is the case. They are still Japan is still one of the highest Michelin star restaurant. Uh, cities in the world. I don't know where they stand today, but this was a couple of years ago. They were number one. But even though they were number one, it's 15% more than that um, refuse to to publish. And why? Because they don't want to ruin their cli- their current clientele. They're they're happy with what they're getting now, and they're just satisfied in life. You know. What's that thing that um, that documentary with the 10, 12 seats and a zero 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 dreams of sushi? That's when I realized that it's time to go back to Japan and I haven't been back yet. So here's the thing about Japan. Here's the thing about this place. 
I've been to Jiro in terms of sushi, Jiro sushi, uh, which is in down in the train station. It is. It is in an underground. It is underground station. Yeah. Like for me, actually for me, it's 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 a decent restaurant, but it's it's definitely average. Oh. You know, and it's it's not, and 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 plus you don't get treated very well in that restaurant. Oh. It's almost they. It's the only restaurant I've been to in Japan. Him and his he has a, his son also exactly. has another one. I went to his son, almost kicked me out of the restaurant. Never in my life have I ever been kicked out of a restaurant. Why? For what? Uh, we were speaking. You were speaking. We were speaking. Seven, eight seats were sitting. A Japanese friend of mine were sitting. We're just talking. He's actually showing me a piece of paper. It's a work-related discussion. And then he's just standing in front of us like this and looking at us. And then, and then, um, you know. I look at him, I say, uh, everything okay? He goes, if you came here to eat sushi, please eat. If you came here to talk, get out. Wow. And my friend that never in my life has that ever happened. So that's not part of the culture? Then. No, 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 it's not part of the culture. And and obviously we were we were super shocked. And I, and I look to my right and I see all the other people sitting, they're just sitting quiet on the side, they're like, you're, you're new here, you know? I'm like, we're like we're like okay let's let's just eat because we actually want to eat you know but i'll tell you something funny after we we finished you know we left and he came to the the front door uh to actually apologize okay and he he said to us look i i'm sorry that i i want people here to to focus on the food this is this never happens before to focus on food it's very unique by the way and we said, no, no, no problem. It happens all the time. You know, you know, that never happened before. Um, but he said, he said, I actually, I, I left my work and shut down the restaurant for almost a year because I put myself in a mental hospital. So he, he said, he said, I couldn't, you know, I put myself in, in a mental hospital and I couldn't imagine how I can cater to every single customer's needs. And that drove me crazy. And I went to a mental institution, and I'm and I'm, this is, I'm just a little crazy, so I'm sorry. And then we said, no, no, it's okay. And then he gave us his book, and then and then we never went back again. <laughs> <laughs> but I almost forgive him for that. I'll give him a pass for that. He's yeah. so passionate about his art. Yeah, they probably see it as art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people appreciate that, but I, but I don't. I, you know, I don't get. You know, I, I don't get. I don't go to a restaurant to get shouted at. I, you know, I go to other places to get shouted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, or you know. And but relax. You, you want to eat, you want to relax, you want a good meal, you know. But some people like, no, it's 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 important. But you know, it's it's an art, I guess. You know, it's an art. not yeah. being allowed to talk over 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 a meal yeah, is a bit intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But that's that's how those experiences were. Uh, outside of that, obviously Tokyo. I mean, you don't you don't have to tell me how how well that city works and how clean and their love for vending machines, which maybe we can get into. But but the people, like, where did they get their uh, knack for being? ethical and you know high morals and doing things the right way and if i'm not mistaken i think japan has the highest life expectancy where did that all come from um that's a good question and i probably don't have the answer to that they, you know japan is has always been an isolated island um an isolated country meaning you know it's it's all corners all sides of it are is, is an island and that's what makes it so special i think so whatever it was you know the fact that you know they're they're in japan they speak japanese it's a different culture it's always been very insulated 
wherever the the cultural aspect, you know, the the respect aspect, you know, how they respect, how they're very honest, generally, you know, um, I wouldn't know to be honest. You know, it's just that's just the way it has always been. You know, it's fifth in, in the life expectancy rankings. Is it eighty eighty five years old? The average. Yeah, that's really impressive. So that's a big problem they have actually. The biggest problem they have today, Japan, the biggest problem, their their economy is kind of stagnating. It's not really growing. It's not really going down. It's just kind of flat, kind of flatlined. But their biggest problem is kind of opposite what we have here, is they have a, a huge aging population because they're living forever, these people. You know, they're, you know, retired, not getting a pension. Retired, getting a pension. And, and, and then on the other side, nobody's getting married and, and having kids. So they're having a big, big, big problem um, with that. Um, one thing, one one option is is to open immigration, for example. But you know, again, the 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 old kind of traditional Japanese saying we're not going to open immigration because that's who we are. Uh, but the new school of thought is let us open immigration and start kind of you know increasing our population. But but currently, and it's an ongoing discussion. Um, I mean, when I was in Japan, it, it was still a problem. And I remember because I was a, I was a resident in Japan when I was in school there. And I remember I used to get, um, they used to do, they used to do um, in some cities, for example, incentivize, you know, a discount on your second car if you have a baby or, or, or so, so, you know, so these little tactical um, programs, but nothing really worked, obviously. You know, they're still struggling with, with uh, the population. Is it just because it's it's one of the most expensive cities in the world, if not the most, discourages people from getting married? Um, it's so when I speak to your friends, they're saying, yeah, it's expensive to get married, and and both women and men feel the same thing, you know, and and, and just they want to work, they don't want to, they don't want to get married, they don't want to leave their jobs, you know, and it is and it is obviously very expensive, yeah. yeah. Uh, not too far away from the Japan uh, subject, the company, Abdel Latif Jamil. You guys have uh, been been in existence since 1945, coming up to, uh, inshallah, 80 years in in two years, inshallah. Um, When you hear stuff like one of the best companies to work at, great um, working culture, um, employees are, you know, super happy, they treat us well. Um, how do you react to people saying such things about the company? I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm very honored and, and very proud of, if people do say that, I, I am. You know, I, I think um, we, well, first of all, you know, I, I have to give a lot of credit. You know, I'm, I've only been in the company for 20 years, you know, which is very small in the lifetime of this company. So a lot of what's been built has been built through you know what my grandfather built as a foundation and my father also kind of grew and expanded so i can't tell you oh yes i'm doing this and i'm doing because it's it's really a lot of what's happened over the last you know 80 years in this company you know it's not something that just happens overnight or in the last year or two or three uh of course you know our responsibilities both myself and my brothers are to to make sure we keep on pushing the boundaries and you know, help making sure our culture, um, which I'll tell you a little bit about, is really the foundation and 
and the bedrock of everything we do. Um, so we spend a lot of time as an organization, uh, and I don't know about many other organizations, but we, we've we started over the last several years spending a lot of time, a lot of energy uh, on culture, uh, on, you know, called corporate culture. I don't know if you ever heard the expression, I just, we were just talking about this a few days ago, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I don't know if you've heard that expression. I haven't. Uh, which basically means you can have the best strategy in the world for a company. You can best, you can have, after strategy, you can have the best, um, you know, KPIs and targets uh, for, your, for you to achieve. But if you don't have the right culture in the organization, um, you know, it's like the, the foundation of it and it will just fall. Um, so... So we are spending a lot of time. What does that mean? Um, it means, you know, a culture of, you want to build a culture of respect, the first thing. You know, when I was in Japan, you know, it's easy to say, it's easy to say, I worked in Toyota, so it's easy to say, yeah, just respect him, say thank you, and, you know, give him a cup of coffee and, you know, and, and buy him dinner, you know, that's respect, you know. But that's, respect isn't just about being respectful. Um, respect is making sure you have, in an organization, the policies, the procedures, um, you know, the standards that can that can enable the organization to be an organization of respect. You know, um, what does that mean? That means, you know, people should and are able to raise their hand saying there's something wrong, without fe- having fear. You know, um, by the way, it sounds very simple. It sounds like oh, it's never going to happen, but it does happen happens it even happens in our organization it happens in many organizations but you know the more you you create that dna um, within the organization the harder it is for the wrong people to be in this organization the wrong people meaning the people they, they they'll stick out like a sore thumb you know and i've seen it happen you know when when someone comes in they just don't fit and they don't fit because their style of management their 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 experience is, is a different type of experience you know it doesn't mean just be nice you know we're nice and sometimes you're rough because of you know you want to achieve what you want to achieve as targets that you set but it's about it's about um, like i said you know making sure the policies and and, and the standards of your organization um, fit the culture because you can say we're a culture of of love and respect and this and that, then, you know, one policy, you know, can actually just destroy everything you're saying, you know. So so that's that's what we're working on today very much. And it's not just in Saudi, but it's, you know, where we're in all the countries we're in, you know. So we have a team, we have a team actually, you know, just funny not to bring it back to Japan, but we have a team of Japanese um, who are, you know, very senior, who are focusing and we're still hiring you know who come with that background um the background of the Toyota way the background of kaizen which is process improvement um in our hr division um to help us really grow this culture that we we, we want to do two reflections the first one and and i know you're not one to claim credit is what you just said something that you have brought and wanted to implement in the company? Is this something you're spearheading? Um, well, as far as the HR and Kaizen? Yeah, yeah. The, the whole... No, I, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's me spearheading. You know, the, I'm, I'm definitely 
you know, an integral part of it, just as, you know, many other individuals are a part of it. It's something I, I truly believe in, but it's definitely, it, it was spearheaded and, and started from the president and from the VP of our HR, you know, kind of they're the ones who are spearheading it, you know. Second reflection is, would you say that the success of the company today, a great deal of it is due to the support of the way that the, the Japanese people operate? Yes. Yeah. The learnings and the best practices. Yes, absolutely. You know, so today, you know, uh, you know, as I said, you know, 30 years ago, we were just focusing on one product, one brand, yeah. uh, one country. Yeah. Um, today, we're diversified, you know, as a company, we're, we're, we're in different sectors. Um, but there's no doubt that the Toyota way um, is a big part of our DNA. Mm. You know, I tell people, you know, especially when I'm in Japan, when I'm doing, if I'm speaking or something in Japan, I say my blood is red, not because of biology, but because of Toyota, you know, because <laughs> that's the, the color of Toyota. And I think, I think, you know, it's been, whether we like it or not, even if we're selling refrigerators, which we actually do in one of our other companies, I was using it as, if, if we have chicken farms, you know, Toyota way will always be a part of, of the DNA of what we do. Irrespective you know? of the industry. Irrespective of the industry. You know, we can be selling, we can be we chicken farming or, strawberry farming, whatever you want to do, but, but whatever we get into Toyota way will always be a part of integral part of, of what we, we are. Um, we, you know, we, we also, since the nineties, mid nineties, we, we also send young Saudis, um, to Japan for two years to work in Toyota over the last, you know, 30 years. I think we've sent just under a hundred now, a hundred young Saudis. Some of them that are still in the organization are senior leaders and some of them went to other companies who have become senior leaders, you know. Um, so it's a big part of what we do. Mm. Almost like a university, if you have it on your seat. Yeah, yeah. It's like you jumped at the top of the list. Yeah, so so just, I mean, that that's, you know, it's it's important to think of, of a university, of, of you, you are you are not a, you are a, a training ground, you know, for, for people to, to develop and to grow in your organization, you know. Mm. But again, sometimes people move on and go to other organizations. We're super proud when that happens as well. I'm a car guy. Um, I had a diesel Land Cruiser for three years. I was an idiot for selling it. I don't know why I sold it. I don't know why. It must be better than the car outside. <laughs> I was definitely going to the gas station less frequently than the one I have now. Uh, I came to sell it after three years. And for whatever reason, I'm sorry. But the Toyota genuine motor oil sticker in the back I must have removed it from the beginning. It must have been an OCD thing. The, the first three or four people that came to see the car said, where's the sticker? Oh, really? Yeah. Uh. And, uh, and then I think he realized that, uh, oh, it's got 40,000 kilometers on it. No, I don't want it. Second guy came. Where's the sticker? Wow. Third and fourth. Wow. The fourth guy bought it. You know why? I bought a sticker. Oh, really? You know what that told me? I'm in marketing. That told me that there is so much brand equity in that sticker that without it, it reduced the value of the car and it made the potential buyer ask, why is that not there? I don't want to drive a Toyota without a, a Toyota genuine motor oil sticker on the back. Yeah. The way you might not want to drive it if the, if the logo or the emblem was missing from the trunk. Yeah. yeah. What does that tell you about how much efforts has gone into the marketing of the brand to the point that a sticker made a difference. Yeah. Look, um, marketing is important, you know, um, 
branding is important, service is important, but it, it begins with, with Toyota, you know. Uh, it begins with them producing one of the best products in the world, you know, best automotive products in the world, we believe. It begins with them being one of the greatest, at least in my belief, one of the greatest companies in the world. That's where it begins. Um, you know, they produce um, and manufacture the car. We do everything else. Um, so our role is to to do sales, service, uh, marketing, and branding for this product. You know, that's our role. Um, and it would not have been possible if if it was a bad product. You know, uh, even if it, you know, but we have a, I mean, we learned from them, you know, one of the foundations or the cornerstones of, of this business is the after sales business, you know. Um, you know, so so we when we built this business, we made sure that when my father and my grandfather built this business, rather, they made sure that you know we had a very very strong um, service and parts network. Until today, when we think about selling a car, the first thing we think about is how are we going to service, how are we going to parts, uh, what kind of parts we're going to do. Um, or how are we going to supply parts, inventory at the right time, at the right place, the right product. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, when that converges all together, you know, you have the best product, the best, you know, a great company, and they have a, another company focusing on service, focusing on sales. Um, it's very difficult to go wrong. You know, you have to, you have to do, I mean, there's a lot of work, of course, in it, um, but but you have the right ingredients for a great partnership and a great company overall, I think, yeah. And the way I computed that or, you know, I concluded was that Abdulatif Jamil really focused on after sales, yeah. which in turn helped sales yeah. at a time when everyone's just thinking about sales. Yeah. Kind of like out of the box thinking. Yeah. Am I right? With I mean, yeah, you, you are. You know, I, I, I'm not going to say we, we got it right. You know, I'm, we're still... We're still we're still trying to improve, you know, and there's always so much areas to improve. And that's, and that's one of the, 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 the first pillars going back to Toyota is, is Kaizen, you know, and you know what Kaizen means. I don't. Okay. Kaizen is one of the most important. If I, if I left you today with anything about Toyota, I'll, I'll leave you with Kaizen. Okay. Kaizen in Japanese means, um, continuous improvement, continuous improvement. Um, no matter and it's it's a word, Yanni. It's like it's the most common word used in Toyota, probably. You know, uh, it's like it's like oh Google, you know, like Google this, Google that. It's like Kaizen this, Kaizen that. It's the same thing, you know. And it means continuous improvement, me meaning that you and that's what our business is basically is you you create a standard, um, and then you you cr you fix it with policies, with procedures, and standards. Then you kaizen go to the next level. Then you 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 fix it and make sure it sticks. Then you improve it to the next level. And the trick is, the trick is, and this is, the trick is. There's two things. It's not how much you improve it by, you know, like a, a 10x or 20x or 30x. Even if you can improve it by, you know, 2x, for example, you know, that's enough. That's enough. When I worked in Japan, I just this is an important one because that, that really changed the way I, I think. When I worked in Japan, um, 
you know, any project we work in, whether we go into a workshop, there's a problem. They're like, oh, we, we can't produce, you know, we can't service enough cars during the day because we have a backlog, this, we have a backlog. The first thing they ask you to do as a Toyota team is something called Yamazumi. Yamazumi in Japanese means Yama is mountain and, and Zumi is like a compilation of like numbers and data, right? And basically they make you stand in front of a mechanic in that process or a technician or mechanic with a stopwatch, okay, and a notebook. And literally everything he does, you have to like click clock, everything, and he knows he's, you're watching, he's, you're, he's watch, you're watching him, he knows that, you're standing wherever, and you just, you just stand there from nine to five, literally, and each one of us is standing in front of a mechanic and we're just clocking everything he does, you know. Um, if, he's, if he went to the toilet, he, we, we clock that. If he's working, it's it's clocked. He's working. If he goes to get a tool from from the the tool shed or, or the, the tool department, you know, we clock. If he went to ask somebody for something, we clock that. Everything. And that's called Yamazumi. Now, what do we do after that? The next day, we take all this data. It takes us maybe two days to enter all this into Excel sheets, right? That's probably most of the work that I did, right? And then you enter this in Excel sheets, and then. I swear to you, they, they print it all out and it's literally maybe three, four meters of Excel sheets for every mechanic. And I go to my boss, I say, I say, you know, what was, what, what, what are we doing? What's the purpose of this, you know? And then he says, he says, ah, oh, Hassan, good you asked me. I was waiting for you. I'm like, I'm like, what's, what's the point? What are we doing? We're just clocking this guy, you know? He says, he says, well, he says, did you find any, um, the call muda means wasted time. I said, well, he went to the bathroom a couple of times. Well, that's not wasted. That's necessary. You can't take that out. I'm like, okay. Well, he he went for a smoke. I was like, okay, that's the little break he had. Well, he went to get a tool from the tool shed. Ah, okay. How much time did he waste? I said, he wasted a good 40 seconds. Okay. He's like, oh, wonderful. Can you make this 40 seconds zero? I guess we can put a tool next to him or or have everybody have a tool so they don't waste time. He's like, wonderful. I'm like, are you kidding me? This, this is 40 seconds, you know? He's like, even if you can improve 40 seconds, I want you to think for a second, Hassan. He said, think for a second. He said, 40 seconds for this mechanic in one day. What does it add up to in a week? What does that add up to uh, in a month? and six months in a year. And that's how they think. And, and that's what Kaizen is. It's small incremental changes, but it's not done by one person. It's done by everybody. And if everybody thinks like that, the whole organization moves in the right direction. And that's the culture you want to build because it's kind of self-improving and self-growing versus one person has an idea, like I have a billion dollar idea. That's not how to win Kaizen. It's not a billion dollar idea. It's it's a it's a fifty cent dollar idea. But you just keep it keep at it. You keep at it every single day. And that's what Kaizen means. And I think that was one of my biggest learnings uh, in Japan, you know.
You see, that's why these guys are different. And that's what I love about the country. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. They go for the 1% yeah. improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Not the sensationalized, as you said. No, it's not. It's not. It really isn't. And Dude, they molded you to the person you are today. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm practically, I, I think I'm, yeah, I'm a six foot something guy. And it was just from inside. Inside, I go to Japan. I, I start, you know, rapping with these guys in Japanese. I'm like, hey, you know, and the people look at me, you know. But inside, I'm I'm Japanese. Yeah, I believe that. Obviously, fluent in, in the language. Yeah. I'm fluent. I'm I'm a little rusty now, but I was fluent. Yeah, writing. Yeah, you we we learned uh, kanji. You know, and there's kanji, katakana, and hiragana, three types of handwriting, and you need a thousand characters. You know, because you have the characters, right? You know the Japanese language. Yeah, you, the Chinese, yeah. you need a thousand to be able to read the newspaper. A thousand. So I learned a thousand, but I probably forgot most of it now. When you're ordering in a restaurant or, or you know, going about your life over there, speaking fluently, do they like double take? No, no actually, not in Tokyo. Not in Tokyo. Not in Tokyo. Um, not in Tokyo. Most most uh, other cities, you know, I, I did a homestay course once to learn Japanese in in a, in a little town north of Japan, and I met kids who had never met a foreigner in their life, and. A part of this homestay course was, you know, it was for Japanese, you know, and I was taking a Japanese course. I had to go give a presentation to kindergarten kids in in this auditorium in, in, in this little school. And I go to the school and it's the first time these kids see a see a, a foreigner, you know, let alone a six foot something <laughs> foreigner, you know. And they're just looking at me and I'm speaking in Japanese, practicing my Japanese, talking to them about Saudi Arabia, introducing who I am. And then after my speech they go, they go, everyone just wants to shake my hands because they've never shaken hands with anybody or with a, with anybody, even with foreigners or with anybody. Oh, they don't shake hands bad. and they just want to shake hands. They're like, please, please shake hands. Take my photo, ask for my photo, uh, autograph, you know, and I'm, I'm like, oh, this little town, I'm, I'm a superstar. <laughs> and then just to, to make it even even funnier, the, the, you know, it's an auditorium, you know, a little, little gym for kids. They had a, a basket. And uh, they're like, if a kid throws it to me, he's like, slam dunk, please. <laughs> I'm like, I think I'm taller than the, the basket itself, you know. I'm like, you know what, let me let me do it. You know, this, uh, I slam dunk, yeah. They probably still remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, that's, that's we're going back to, um, sorry, we digressed a bit. But but again, HR and Kaizen and, and the Toyota way, that's a big part of what we're trying to achieve, you know. And I think... You could never. It, it's it's not going to happen by itself. It takes a lot of effort, you know, to create that culture, yeah. um, and it's, it's super important, you know. I'm glad you came back to to the Toyota story because I think it's a perfect segue to talk about the Lexus story. Yeah, that hit the ground, if I'm not mistaken, in 1990. Please correct me if I'm wrong. 1991, two, yeah. 1991, yeah. two. Um, when you look back at that era. Um, how do you feel about how Saudis were quick to adopt the brand? And, and until today, Lexus, it's known for it'll hold its value. Yeah, I don't know why that is. Not li not like the other brands, but Lexus, trustworthy, hold its value. It was a love story with the Saudis from day one. How do you reflect? So maybe a little bit about Lexus. Lexus was a, was a brand that Toyota, again, in the 90s launched. And the only country they didn't launch it in was in Japan. Meaning everywhere else, 
It was Toyota and then they created this Lexus. But Japan, they decided we don't want to launch Lexus in Japan because um, we're worried that if it's a flop, it might damage the Toyota brand because it's something new we're trying. So they launched it in the US, they launched it in the Middle East, they launched it in Europe. Um, and you know, thankfully, it was a huge success. Um, Japan was launched in 2004. 14 Four. years after. Almost 14 years after they launched it in Japan. But that's how they started off. And and again, it was my first interaction with Lexus was, again, I was, you know, probably what, in, in middle school in, in Jeddah, Jeddah Khalsla. And my father came to pick my brother and I up from school. And where did you go to school? Dar al-Fikr. Dar al-Fikr. Yeah. So, so we were, it wasn't as fancy as Dar al-Fikr, I remember. Dar al-Fikr was like the, the cool. Throw me under the bus. Yeah, it was the cool school at it the was, time. It was, I'll take that. You know, um, but Jeddah Khalsa, you know, we were still playing in dirt, okay. in the sand and, you know, and sweaty and like there was no like proper place. Um, and I remember my brother and I were like just sweaty and dirty and sand all over us. And then, you know, he came to pick us up with the Lexus. Like, I got this amazing car. We're going to start selling this car. LS400? LS400, the first one. And then we, he, we come and he looks at us. He's like, I'll send the driver later, you know? And then <laughs> like, he's like, you're, you're not coming into this car. We're like, okay, that, what, what was that car? You know, Too they, filthy. And then he goes. But I think back then, I have to give all credit um, to my father and the management at the time, because brand was very important. Of course, with all the 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 makeup, the genetic makeup, I'll call it of you know focusing on service, focusing on parts inventory, focusing on parts availability. Um, the brand was very important, and I remember at the time we built. Nineteen ninety two was the opening or three. Again, I have to check. Um, the, one of the largest Lexus. Um, facilities in the world. Medina Road. In Medina Road, right? And it was a Lexus Center with a sports club, yeah. with um, with barbers, uh, with, uh, you know, pool, with, with, with squash, with tennis, you know, and exclusively for Lexus. You know, if, 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 if you don't want to lift the weight, somebody will lift them for you yeah. kind of place, yeah. you know, like like premier, 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 you know. And, for, and who's who used to go there? And the who's who used to go there. There was nothing like it in all of Saudi Arabia. You know, it was, the, you know, it was the place. And I remember we had, you know, so many people complain. They're like, I don't want, I don't have a Lexus, but how come I, I can't go? And then we changed the policy at the time. Um, then Lexus customers had some special incentive or some special discount for, you know, other people. And you had other people. And for, for many, many years, even had its own sushi bar. Oh my God. Yeah, at the time, before sushi was a thing, you know? And it's funny, I think, you know, we opened up a sushi bar. Well, my, we, my father opened up a sushi bar at the time. And, you know, I think we got a Japanese chef. And, you know, within a year, it was bankrupt because nobody was going to the sushi bar. It wasn't like a thing, you know, at the time. Now, obviously, sushi is like as common as, thing. as, as burgers. <laughs> but, but at the time, oh it was just, it was just, um, and it was just one product. There was just one LS400 where, you know, my father said, let's go, let's build the greatest uh, facility, the greatest experience for our customers in Saudi Arabia. And that was Lexus Center in 1992 or 1993. And how long was it just the one product for? It was a couple of years. And, and we didn't have, we didn't have much, yani, 
vision in, in sight. Yeah, we didn't know what was coming up, but but we had belief and trust um, in this company, in this company called Toyota. They're like, this is the new luxury company we're doing. We're like, we'll take it, and we're going to build the best thing before we even see anything else. Who does that? Who, you know, like if someone told me this, I'm like, hey, what's your background? What's this? Do you have an investment? You know, no. but that was that was that's the kind of relationship and trust that you know, thankfully, that we have with this wonderful company speaks volumes. And I think that more often than not separates those that make it and those that don't in any capacity. Do you believe? You guys believed. We believed. We believed. We trusted, and and we had we had great trust. You know, and we believed. You know, my father was was very, very close with Dr. Tuida. Um, you know, we're very, very close with uh, Mr. Akio, you know, who's his, his son, Dr. Tuida, Dr. Shochur Tuida, his son Akio, who's the, currently the chairman who was CEO. Um, and it's just about, that's, I think that's the foundation um, of any business relationship is, is trust. Yeah, is trust. So important. It's everything. Yeah. And you'll be surprised how, how rare it is. You know, you'll be so surprised, you know, how rare it is. Uh, how does the Rivian story play into all of this? Uh, okay. You guys obviously are big investors in the company. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us the Rivian story. Sure. Um, so Rivian's a, a great, a great story because we, we loved cars so much. We wanted to, you know, we, we sold cars, we accessorized cars, we serviced cars. Uh, we've retailed cars, you know, and we did everything with cars except kind of the last, we'll call it the last mile of, of, of cars, you know, the car supply chain, the value chain of cars, which is manufacturing. And we've always, as a company, as a family, we've always wanted to get involved in manufacturing. And, you know, we, we needed the right time and we're not engineers, you know, industrial manufacturing engineers, you know, where we're car salesmen, you know, when you, when you talk about what, with what I do, I, I say I'm a, I'm a car salesman at the end of the day, I and mean, I'm not I'm not somebody who knows manufacturing well. So we were looking, well, actually, if we sorry, if we, we rewind a bit, um, we've always wanted to manufacture. Um, and at the time, I was in charge, this was in the late, I think, 2010. I was in charge of a company called Daihatsu, which is a subsidiary of Toyota. But in two, around 2010, they decided to exit all markets around the world, um, including Europe, including Africa, including Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, and just focus on Japan, Malaysia, and Indonesia. That was just a strategic thing that they wanted to do. We're like, fine, this is not our, we can't do anything about that. But this, this one of their products was a small one-ton pickup called, we called it the Bub. It was called um, Grand Max internationally, but we even we they gave they gave us the right to call it the Bub in Saudi Arabia just for us. I see it all over the streets. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah. It's still there. It's a great product. Um, very cheap, uh, very efficient, uh, very strong. One ton pickup, you know, um, and we just couldn't stop selling these cars. It was a great, great car. And I I went to. You know, when they exited, you know, it was very sad because I was in charge of this portfolio. It was a smaller portfolio at the time. I said, you know, to my father, I said, hey, you know, why don't we, how difficult could it be to build our own truck? Um, and and my father's like, yeah, let's go do it. I'm like, okay, great. What do I do? He's like, let's, 
go talk to some companies, look at contract manufacturers, you know, start having these discussions, see what, what comes out of it, you know. Uh, so I went, I, I went, uh, met some companies in India, contract manufacturers. I met some com um, companies in, in Turkey um, also, but nothing really resonated, you know, nothing really clicked, you know, like, okay, yes, but you know, it's like, it's a bit, it's a bit, uh, it was very, still very um, unclear, you know, how, how just randomly somebody wants to build a truck. Yeah. The company wants to build a truck. Didn't flow. It didn't flow. Um, and just by pure, pure coincidence, um, my father, professor, old professor, old um, friend and professor from MIT, my father was an MIT grad, calls up my father and says, you know, there's this kid that just graduated um, PhD. He was one of the brighter kids, um, one of the fastest PhDs as well in MIT. Um, and he wants to build cars and maybe you guys should talk. So my father goes, you know, go meet this guy and 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 see. I'm like, he's 27 year old. What what's what's this guy gonna do? You know. And then you know we decide to meet in London, um, because he was in Florida at the time. And I met him in London, and this is RJ, the the CEO of Rivian. And we we just connected. I said, you know, they were actually building a sports car at the time they were looking at designing and um well not building but at least they were their direction was sports car and then i had you know said you know why don't we think of a truck and then he's like absolutely that makes more sense you know the trucks are some of the best sold vehicles in the world at the time you know trucks are haven't been changed if you look at the you know the architecture and design of a, of a truck uh, the platform it just hasn't been changed for like a hundred years. It's just the same, yeah. more or less the same kind of platform technology. Everything is a bit. Let's relook at how a truck is designed. And you know, mind you, we're talking about building cars. You know, but but we said let's start and see where this goes. So we started with them, and and we started you know creating a strategy and 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 you know creating a plan how we wanted to move forward. And he's you know he's one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. Um, and, you know, he worked with us very closely um, and it wasn't an open check. We, we said, let's work for six months and that's six months and see what you can achieve. You know, and those are your targets for six months. And then for six months, for the next six months, let's do it. And then for one six months turned into a year, one year turned into two years. And then we worked with him and his team and, you know, we grew the team you know, to obviously hundreds. We bought a factory uh, in the eight years, almost eight years we worked with him, just us and him. Um, I didn't know the relationship was that long. It was eight years, um, seven, eight years. And it was literally just us as the, the major investor. We didn't want outside investments. And the main reason was, the main reason was we, um, we wanted the team to focus. Uh, if you know anything, you know, about you know when startups startup world you know every one year two years you got to go raise you got to go raise and it takes a toll on on the management focusing on the business so our strategy with with him and he agreed as well was let us focus you know and I was said okay achieve what we have to achieve you know and then we'll we'll keep on growing with you until 8 years later and then we had a bunch of other investors come in you know, when we first came into the company, it was like 10, 12 guys, 
in the company building building a car you were there from scratch i was thinking it was no 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 it was it was it was scratch not seed round you were founded founding i mean it's yeah i mean the company was already there so it's not founding but we definitely you know help propel it to to a different level early early you know, early yes yeah, yeah very very early days yeah. Wherever it is, you know, I, I've never, I never was involved in, in building a car, design reviews, um, you know, crash testing. You know, I had no idea, but they put me in these meetings with them, and and I just learn. I'd learn about how how a car is built, and I I still wouldn't be able to tell you how a car is built. You know, it's a very, very, very difficult and very complex. So your your twenty year experience between Toyota and uh, and Lexus did that help you at all? With, with of course, because we understood. The industry, at least we believed we understood the industry. We could have been wrong, you know. We understood where the industry was going, and we believed that. And and we thought, let's take a bet. You know, it wasn't um, it wasn't again it wasn't chicken farming with an industry that we don't know. It was it was an industry that we knew very well, and we understood, and we felt confident um, to take it and to grow it. Yeah. How do you go about choosing? investments it's a tricky world uh, you've got some right you've probably got some wrong sure um what's your philosophy on what do you see that makes you say okay yeah let's get in on that so we we've always been very um passionate investors when i say passionate we like to get involved in our investments for for the benefit or the detriment of the founders or the owners or the the managers you know we, we we like to get our hands dirty. I don't know if it's if it's because of our, you know, um, operational yeah. experience, but but we like to get involved. You know, so we, we rarely, you know, especially major investments, we like to get more involved. And I think, you know, we have different sectors we're involved in. Um, you know, the one that I've been most involved in is the auto mobility sector, and you know today. Well, today it's, it's happening, obviously. But you know, t- ten years back, I tell you, I tell you, electrification is going to be very interesting. You know, so really thinking about, okay, what's in the next ten years? What's happening in the next ten years? You know, because we're not, we're not, we have, we're, we we like to say, you know, patient capital. So we look at very long-term investments and things that you can grow and build together, versus turning a quick buck and and, and trading. Kaizen, yeah, Kaizen, yeah. So, so really taking our time, building, and making sure uh, foundations are solid and and strong. Um, so you look at an industry, you look at a sector, um, you know. Um, and I think founders and CEOs are are very important, um, as well as um, their their humility. I think is very important. Again, not to say that you know there are a lot of founders who may be very or some founders maybe maybe arrogant or this is fine you know but but us you know it's important to have that sense of humility um, which is what RJ had as a leader I mean that's the first thing that pops to mind when I think about him is his humility meaning his ability to say I was wrong let's move you know let's move here I was you know okay fine let's just let's let's you know and not to dwell and not to resist you know and just say i was wrong or I, and if i was right and let us discuss it and if i was wrong so i think humility is, is is very important in any leadership it's also rare it's also rare it's also very rare you know 
And when you find it, you know, in, in leaders, I think those are the leaders, especially if they're extremely knowledgeable leaders, um, especially if they're if they're passionate leaders, you know, um, then you have a very special combination. How would you say, or what trait does someone need to have in order to be successful? I know it's generic, but something that you feel you need to have this if you want to be successful in life. Successful in life, um, well, I don't know if the, you're, you're talking to the right person, but I think from what I see from from people who are successful is, is I mean, there's, it's not always very, it's a generic question, but I think patience is important. I think patience is important. I think perseverance is important. You know, just not giving up, you know, I think that's very important. And again, this is very generic. Um, and I think... Um, Hassan, sorry, you, you say generic, but a lot of people give up too early. Yeah. So yeah, as generic as it is, it isn't practiced as much as it should be practiced. Yeah. yeah. Give up too early because, you know, I was... Well, I'll tell you why well, I don't want to say a certain country, but, you know, some people are taught that, you know, failure is, you know, the end, basically. You know, but when you go to Silicon Valley, you go to see these startup worlds, is, is failure is just another step. You know, it, it's, it's, it's going to happen. Just, it's just a step. You know, it fell again, a step. And I think that's, that's important. You know, I think the best leaders I, I, I see and I meet uh, are leaders who, who don't see failure as, as the end. You know, um, they're like, oh, okay, let's keep on going. You know, like, it's just like, whatever, you know, some leaders like, oh my God, we failed. Khalas, it's over. You know, it's life's over. And, you know, some people, you can come to take a different, different route, you know? So I think, I think that combination of patience, perseverance, and then humility is, is very important for a leader. The subject of failure, I just have to throw in this bit, Stephen Bartlett, one of the most renowned podcasters said that he just hired someone who is head of experiments. He believes that the more we fail, the more we tally up our failures will put us in a position where we can eventually get to where we want to be. Yeah, Success is determined by how many failures have you had. So he yeah. hired someone just to experiment. Fail, 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 fail. Eventually, he who has failed most would eventually more often than yeah. not get to the right. Yeah, I think it's it's all about experience, right? Yeah. It's all about um, getting hit very hard, you know, and then and, and, and making sure that doesn't happen again and knowing, you know. Sometimes the only way to succeed is to fail hard, you know. And then I can't remember who said it. It's like if you fail, make sure you fail hard. I can't remember who said that. It was a famous quote by somebody. Yeah. 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 It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, your father, huge, and we touched on him. We touched on him in the beginning, uh, but something that you've learned from him, wisdom that you can pass down from from, from him, and and you know he's carried the company to to new heights. Yeah. Um, what's something that that he has taught you that stayed with you forever? So my father is one of my, you know, but again, but for many many people, he's he's one of my heroes. You know, I've, I've learned so much from him, and I'm still learning over the years and. A story, a story that I haven't said enough that I, I love to love to share with you is a is is a story not well it does touches on business but it's, it's there's a human side to it. So the first time I started working in the company was 2001 uh, when I started working the company and when I started working the company, I was 
you know, I was in, in the department, I was training and I was sitting in the middle of this open space office and everyone was coming to me and, and, you know, people were coming to me, telling me, oh, I have these ideas. People coming to me, oh, I have these problems. People coming to me saying, oh, well, let's, let's, let's talk. We got to meet, we got to say, you know, just, and then just so many demands, requests. And I just felt I have a very high, um, sense of responsibility. Um, and if I can't fulfill that, I, I start breaking down, you know, I start feeling like I'm breaking down. So, so anyway, day after day, I, I go to the office and people coming to me and pressure and this and that, and this is first month of work, you know, so it's not, and it wasn't like serious things. It was just like, you know, if some guy had, I, I didn't get promoted because of this, why, you know, I'm, I'm having, you know, I'm like, oh my God, he didn't get promoted. And there's a big problem in HR. Let me talk to HR. Let me, you know, you know, it just, it was just, it was just, um, I just felt a lot of stress, you know, and, sure. and pressure. Um, again, relative, right? Because it's your first month, first couple of months working. So I come home at the time I was living with my family, with my parents. I come home and I remember as I come home, it was maybe eight o'clock night or something. And I come home and I see a bird on the floor uh, with a broken wing. You could tell it's a broken because it was kind of like uh, flipping, you know, on the side. And I'm just so exhausted, and I'm and I'm looking at this bird, and I and I say, the right thing to do is to help this bird, you know, and and um, see how you could how you could uh, save it, you know, and help it fix it fix its wing. And the other side of me was like, look, you're exhausted. You've had a long day. You've had a your pressure. It's just, you know, this is the circle of life, Hassan. You know, just, you know, let it, let it go. You know, the cat will eat the, the bird. Somebody will, you know, that's, that's, food that's chain. the food chain. Yeah, the circle of life. And I'm like, you know what? You know, I can't, you know, this is, this is life. You know, I just, and I just, I just go. I go up, take a shower, come back down. I come to the, you know, maybe half an hour later, I come the kitchen I see a box in the kitchen with holes in it right uh, like a shoe box almost you know and I asked you know the, the, the guys in the kitchen I'm like I'm like oh, you know who what is this who, who is this oh they like your father just came home half an hour after me and 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 he asked us to help this bird you know and, and to save it and and I just I just said wow I'm like, I, I, I can't feel worse than I feel today, you know? And that was a huge wake up call for me. Um, not, not a, I'll tell you why professionally, but, but more of a human side. Ever since that happened, you know, I don't think twice about, you know, helping, you know, a human, should I, should I not, an animal or even a plant, yeah, you know, any life. Um, because all life is valuable, you know, and we all know that. But but again, if we know that, you know that. Why don't you act on it? So so acting on it is what is a differentiator. Actually, taking those two three steps to actually do something. So that was the first thing I learned. That was the most important thing. But but the second thing I learned was delegation. Um, did my father actually go up and pick this bird? And no, he didn't. He actually asked somebody to do that. And I think. As people's roles grow and leadership positions, you have to learn how to delegate, you know. And that was that was a lesson for me, you know. Okay, I could have gone inside and asked somebody to help me to do it or something, you know. But 
But that was that was a big lesson for me. It stayed with you for 25 years. It stayed with me. It will always stay with me and ever. And it's funny when I mentioned this to my father, he's like, I don't remember helping any bird. And I'm like, that's exactly like, that's the kind of person you are. You're like, it's just a part of life. Have you noticed that with yourself that you have managed to get happier with age? How have you uh, approached age and, and your happiness? I guess the, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not, um, I am, I'm not unhappy with age. I am happy with age. I think, I think the only thing I'm unhappy about is, is trying to spend, you know, the older you get, the, the more you realize that you want to spend time with the people you love, you know, and you realize that time passes so quickly. And, you know, I, I love spending time with my family and I think, you know, it, it's almost like with age, I'm having less time, you know, and I'm not even married yet, you know, and, and I don't know, I tell my friends, I'm like, you guys are married, I'm like, how do you even make time for, for your families? I barely have time for me or my family. So I think, um, you know, you appreciate things more with age. You know, I think that's, that's what I would say. You appreciate things with age, um, you know, and and that in turn makes you happier. So, you know, I was in Switzerland this summer. You know, we went to this beautiful lake in Switzerland and and I never thought I, I would look at, you know, this, this beautiful lake and these beautiful mountains and say, this is, I can stay here for a long time, you know. And it made me so happy, you know, just, uh, me and a friend of mine, we were there and, you know, we swam in the lake. We, we sat every day just looking at the mountains and relaxing. And I think, you know, with age, you know, you start realizing the beauties and start appreciating more, you know, simple things. Yeah. And I think those are the simple things that, that make you happier in life. And and I guess the earlier you can realize that, you know, the the more you can enjoy life as you as you grow older, you know. Yeah. What stresses you? What pisses you off? Uh, arrogant people. That's <laughs> fitting. Because uh, you're the furthest away from that. So it's Yeah, I, I, I can't stand arrogance, you know. Um, and again, it comes in different forms and different shapes and different people, you know. But, but, but definitely that's something that, you know, whether it's in circles around me, whether it's in, you know, the company or people, you know, that's something I don't, I don't, don't appreciate, I don't tolerate, you know. Uh, it's important to 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 have some degree i'm not saying everyone has to be humble and but, but it's important to have that that characteristic i think for for leaders to grow and to learn you know um you know what stresses me is is again i think time um time seems to be getting faster you know uh as you grow older you know when when you were in you know school in middle school you're like when am i going to get out of here when am i going to get out of here you know and like like you just like time was so slow but as you get older, time becomes like that was that was the whole year. You know, we're already coming to the end of you know 2023, um, and that just started. You know, I, I can remember what I did for New Year's. You know, and it just 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 everything just finished. The years feel like months when you're older. Yeah, and I think it just it gets and it gets quicker and quicker and quicker, and then just that makes you think a lot more about how you want to spend your time and with who you want to spend it with. What if I asked you, what have you been better at saying no to? Um, I think spending time with 
people I want to spend time with and spending time with people I don't want to spend time with. And I think I've learned and I'm still learning how to say that, you know, um, you want to be with people who give you good energy. You want to be with friends around you. Uh, you want to be with people who give you love and you give them love and that's very important, you know? So you need to say no to anything else mm-hmm. uh, because that's, again, that's a, it's, it's wasting your time. It's wasting their time, you know? So that's, that's what it's important. It's important to say no to. Do you enjoy time alone? Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a introvert. I would consider myself an introvert, um, which means I, I probably get energized when I'm alone. I'm, I'm, I, I can be social. I'm social and when I need to be, but I'm, I'm definitely an introvert. I, 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 I get energy when I'm more alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what do you do for free time? With, what's your hobbies? So I, um, I do like to read when I have time. Um, I, I've taken up chess during COVID. I'm still doing it. I have, uh, I have a, I don't know if you played chess.com at all. I don't. No, but there's a rating, you know, a system, you know, and I'm, I, I'm, I might have a target to get to a certain, you know, it just takes time to do that. So I'm doing that. Picked it up in COVID. Yeah, I picked it up in COVID um, after I saw, um, what's it called? Queen's Gambit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Queen's Gambit. I'm like, you know what? I think I know how to play chess. Let me pick it up, you know, and, and, I, and I picked it up. Got a couple of lessons. Uh, there's more to it than just it being a board game. No, it, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful game. It's a beautiful, beautiful game if you ever get into it. It's very, it's not about memory, you know, it's not about memory. It's more, it's a lot about tactics um, and, and learning certain tactics and, and and it's just such a beautiful game because there's a lot of, you know, uh, math and calculations where you have to kind of calculate and, and most of the time I get it wrong, but 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 I'm still learning, you know, but it's, but once you, when you get a win, you know, it's, it's the, it's the best feeling, you know. Um, I I like to do the gym as well. I love running. Running is is my um, my kind of go to um, um, to switch off. You know, I I love running. That probably relieves a lot of stress as well. Yeah, I've recently started ice baths, ice oh. lunges. Do you have you tried them? I a month ago. Oh, once. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Three times. Oh, that's it. And I'm only like five bags of ice deep, and it's like. So, so, so my friend, uh, I told you about him, Peter, he got me into it and, and now I'm addicted. I, I have to like three times a week, four times a week. I, I got, I got one at home now. What effects did you see, uh, that, that changed for the better? So with ice? With ice. Uh, well, it's definitely, uh, well, let's put all the science aside. How do I feel? Yeah. How do you feel? That's what I do. I say, how do I feel? Leave it aside. I don't care about the science because there's, you know, nay and yay sayers, you know, so I feel uh, very happy, very refreshed. Uh, you feel a sense of accomplishment, like like you went through this pain, and and suddenly you know you, you push through it mentally. It's like prepping your mind to for for adversities or challenges. Like that's the first thing you do in the morning, is get in a nice bath and be like, you know. And it's difficult. It's difficult. I did I did one today, and it's and it's. It's difficult to get in. You're like, I don't want to. And you're standing outside for like, you know, for like three, four minutes. You're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Let it just, it's still cold, you know. So, but once you do it, it's, you feel 
you feel fantastic, you know. Breathing, yeah, it's all about the breathing. You breathing, that's and it's from a scientific point of view, it's you know there's a you know health benefits, serotonin, happy the happy yeah. you know, happiness, you can feel a lot happier. White blood cell boosts for your immunity as well. Um, um, so there's a lot of benefits as well, you know, forward. So I, I ask how or what changes did you see in yourself and how did things improve? I was told to take cold showers and watch how it'll improve your life. For the past decade, I've been struggling from, uh, it was a benign case of skipped heartbeats after maybe mm. you know a, a meal that maybe had some MSG I'd, I'd, I'd get like a, a, a couple of skip beats. Uh, if I have a, a Coke or a Diet Coke, I get some skip. So, oh, so I know what to not do, a lesson. Yeah. I saw some of like maybe five or six heart doctors um, yeah. and, and all said benign. The structure of the heart, everything's 100%. They stress tested me. So that was a bit of, you know, it, it, it assured me whenever I get it, listen, structure is good. Don't stress, it's benign. Mm -hmm. Someone said, try cold showers. They reduce inflammation. So now what I do in the morning and in the evening is I get under the shower and I go cold and then turn it on. Mm. Freezing, out of breath. With time, it got better. Do you know what temperature? I, I don't, but yeah. it's cold. Yeah. Like I, I gasp. Yeah. And then, you know, in Jiddah, it's hot. So within 20 seconds, it's yeah. warm again. Yeah. What I noticed, Hassan, after the first week is that my 10 skips a day went down to three. Oh, really? Yep. And then after the first month, I'm at one a day. So then I, my trainer is a big advocate of, uh, of the ice bucket um he said mo get yourself into an ice bucket i mean if if a cold shower which is far from freezing has had that effect on you i wonder what an ice bath would do yeah an ice bucket yeah so i ordered something on amazon a couple hundred bucks i put some ice and i put some ice yeah. on it yeah like a very entry level yeah. Yeah. ice yeah. bucket yeah yeah and uh doing that three or four times my my skips almost evaporate like the, great they're gone so why don't you keep on doing it I, I i i am i am like i'm doing it once every three or four days i'm not like you where it's like three times a week but reduction of inflammation is something that i first handedly yeah. saw yeah and, and and i can only imagine like what what else it can do to you yeah inflammation actually i forgot to tell you but i had shoulder inflammation and 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 almost disappeared you know just by going from in the, the ice. from the ice yeah yeah like I'm, I'm addicted. I'm, I, I love it. I can't live without it now. Yeah. And they have these machines now. There's one called, I mean, there's a bunch of companies, but one not promoting it or anything. It's called Brass Brass Monkey. Uh, this this it's like a half a ton, 400 kilo uh, machine. You know, like a tub with a with a with a with a, uh, a generator inside, connected to your Bluetooth. You can actually, I'll show you later. You can actually like change the temperature. You know, in the morning, switch it on. You can actually press a button. And it actually makes you ice pieces, oh, ice wow. bricks in it. You know, and then just you know, it's, it's just the cool Next thing. Level. Those are like the the top the top, top of, of the, the range. Top. Yeah, 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 really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I have a flimsy one now, and I was thinking of investing in in, in the big oil barrel looking one. Yeah, which keeps the ice uh, for a couple of days. Yeah, um, but, but the, the but good thing about it is is that because when you sit in the 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 bucket, <laughs> the barrel, um, your body temperature starts to change if you stay there for a while yani that the temper the ice will melt and the the, the body temperature will will change as well because the ice will change the the temperature of the water will change but these machines it's it's regulated so, so it stays it stays the same temperature throughout yani that's so some it's much harder shit yeah 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 so but it's 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 super it's super cool it's really cool yeah 
I, yeah, I think it's like one of the best discoveries that I've landed on in, yeah. in the last couple of years. I remember saying that I'll do whatever it takes to get rid of my skips. You know, I'll do whatever it takes. And little did I know yeah. the answer was in a cold shower and thus the ice. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yoga, do you do yoga? I, uh, on and off. No, no, yeah. My wife's a Pilates instructor. Again, okay. on and off. Okay. Uh, cardio, on and off. Tore my meniscus, so I couldn't do as much cardio. Yeah. But 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 definitely breathing and yoga, I think, is is, is up there with yeah. with ice. Yoga, I I also do. I picked it up in COVID as well. Picked it up, but but I started doing Ashtanga, mm-hmm. Ashtanga yoga, and you don't realize. And I I start measuring now, uh, like how breathing. You know, helps your your heart, uh, like keeping your heart rate low when you sleep. Like especially, you know, a lot change. You know, we we don't realize the importance of just breathing Breathe. properly. You know, I think you know, and that's that's a problem that many people face. I think that don't realize that, and they just go alive without really breathing. And when I started yoga, I realized that's a big part of what you do. You know, the breathing exercises and stuff. And because we do it so subconsciously. Yeah, 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 and we do it the wrong way. You know, there's breathing a through your mouth. And breathing through your mouth, and there's a way where you're supposed to suck it in. How you, I still can't do it, right? But, but yeah, yeah. But what is the, the ring on your finger do besides is, track your sleep? And yeah, so it's an aura ring. You don't, you know, the aura I, I've, I've I've heard of it. I've never used it, and if I haven't used it, I don't know what it does. So besides tracking your sleep, so it's it's mainly tracking your sleep, but also heart rate and and um, so I have it's comfortable actually. It's very comfortable, and it's and um, things like. Today, things like heart rate variability. Yeah. Have you heard of heart rate variability? No. So heart rate variability is is the the difference. I'll probably say this wrong, but the difference between each beat. Each beat isn't equal. It's like the do, the do. You know, the the, the, the that's the it's always variable. Yes. And the more variability there is, the better, right? The less variability, the worse. And actually, it's a it's a it's a not a precursor, but it's an indicator of of how healthy you are. If you have a very low one, and that's how they measure stress. You know the whoop band? Yeah. That's what they use to measure a part of measuring stress. So I realized breathing exercises helped me a lot with that. And I'll just show you, Shuf. So that's, so this is the kind of measure. So yesterday I had one of the best nights of my life. So, so you see every day this kind of, so super accurate as well, yeah. Yeah. And, and 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 when you say best night of your life in terms of deep sleep so everything they measure deep sleep REM uh, movement this is data yeah 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 and um, I, I I like some people say they're they're too stressed well Hassan that's not too bad average to- total uh, sleep hours this week eight hours and 12 minutes so that's 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 probably the best week I've had in years okay you know because I, I've actually I haven't traveled and I'm actually so you- yeah if you look back a couple of normally it's five, six hours. Five or six? Yeah, that's terrible. Good. It's yeah. terrible. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. And by the way, um, when I get five or six, my skips are 5x. Oh, uh, yeah. There you go. But when I get eight or nine, even before the cold water, yeah. one or two. Yeah. Direct correlation. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah. Inflammation. Yeah. But, but, but it just shows you the importance of sleep. You know, so I wake up. I literally look at my, and I'm ready to hit the gym. And I'm like, I look at my thing and it goes, you know, you're 72%. And I realized, okay, it's 5 a.m. For example, I have, I can sleep another hour. I'll sleep another hour, you know, and I'll push myself and I want to get kind of high scores mm. for my sleep, really. And, and but it just, you change the way you feel, you know, totally change the way you feel during the day. You're so energized. What gets measured, sorry, what gets measured gets managed. I love measuring. 
I love measuring. I have to measure. That's the way I am. You know, some people tell me it, it drives them crazy and they get they get too obsessed. I'm not obsessed, but but I, I like to measure so I can improve. And that's going back to Toyota. You know, you create standards and just improve. Create standards and improve. Yeah, the one percent. Yeah. Was statistics your favorite class? No, it was my worst. It's, <laughs> it was actually my worst. <laughs> what was your favorite? My favorite class. You know, my favorite class was high school, university. Um, professors, I remember, I think it was never a class. It was the professor. I can not I can tell you, I remember the professors. Um, we had a, in high school once, one of the biggest, he's probably the biggest sumo wrestlers in history. His name was Kanishki. Kanishki. Um, he was Hawaiian, I believe. And he visited our school once to give a, a speech. And I'm just not to digress, but this is a funny story. And then, um, you know, one kid asked him, what was your favorite subjects in school? He said, lunch, you know, <laughs> it's like nothing else, you know, <laughs> out of the box. Answer. Yeah. Have you, you never met Sumo? You do, do you follow Sumo at all? No, but, but if I see it on TV, when I'm flipping through channels in the States, uh, I, I'd, I'd watch it for a little bit. Yeah. It's fascinating. It, it's one of the. And I don't want to, don't quote me, one of the few contact sports where there's no weight class, mm. which means you have the smallest little guy fighting like the hugest, biggest guy, you know, and, it, and it's not about, and it's, and they have to use their weight for their advantage. And he has to, you know, they, it's, it's, about, it's really about using your width. It's not about strength. Do you ever you get know? an upset when the smaller guy would yeah. push yeah. a bigger guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, it doesn't push it, be kind of like, pivots it like he kind of pivots out of the way and kind of makes sure he falls out you know very timely question would be to ask you is you know what makes you feel most alive what makes me feel most alive is uh is being with uh, my family is being with my family we have a lot of uh um nephews and nieces now the eldest is you know 20 25, I think, 24, 25. The youngest is one or less than one, six months. So, you know, it's 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 wonderful to spend time with them. I think that that brings a lot of joy and a lot of happiness to me. Marriage on the cards? Um, marriage on the cards, yeah, always. <laughs> of I heard course. it said to me, Saudi's most eligible bachelor. Oh, really? It's been said. Oh, has it been said? Someone asked me, who's your 100th? I'm like, can I trust you for not telling anyone? I said, Hassan Jamil and Charlotte are like, oh, Saudi's most eligible bachelor. Oh, really? Like, oh, is that what he's called? Oh, really? <laughs> I've never heard that. Okay, no, he gives off that vibe. I've never heard that. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. But something that you would uh, entertain if the time was of right. Course, of course, of course, always. I, I'm I'm, uh, I'm very, uh, I, I love family, you know. Unfortunately, I, I, I was and didn't work out and moved on and, and uh, I'd love to have my own family one day, yeah. Before we sign off, I mean, we you know we we see Saudi today, and, and we know what it was like ten years ago, with everything, and it's like every day there's something new that comes that that shocks us even more, you know, under Vision 2030 and the efforts that are happening there. What's something that, or like, where do you see the country in say ten years from now, at the rate we're going now? What excites you the most about if you were to look into the future, and this is something you'd like to see ten years from? Now? Yeah. Look, you, you, I don't have to explain to you, you know, um, what's happening in Saudi Arabia. You see it, you feel it. Um, you know, I think 
you know, there isn't a country that's more exciting than than what's happening in Saudi Arabia today. The amount of of interest, the amount of of people that that you get to Saudi Arabia is is just I've never seen it before. You know, there's just so much um, opportunity. I, I truly believe what His Royal Highness the Crown Prince MBS is doing is truly a once in a lifetime event. You know, and he's totally transforming this this sleeping elephant uh, called Saudi Arabia, uh, and and it's waking up, and it's causing these ripples. You know, and everyone's feeling it. You know, everyone all the way from Japan all the way to the US, they're feeling these ripples, you know, uh, you know, of these big steps starting to kind of wake up, you know. Um, Great analogy. Yeah, that's that's how I feel. That's how I feel. Um, and I, if, if anything, I wish I was, you know, 20 years younger to be a part of this, you know, because, you know, when, when you and I grew up in Saudi Arabia, it was a different Saudi Arabia, but today, you know, there's, you know, social, economic, cultural, um, you know, set new sectors being built, you know, uh, just, it, it couldn't be, couldn't have been more well thought through. Um, you know, for us as business people, you know, of course, it's good, but, but, but for me as a Saudi, it's, you, you wake up proud, you know, you wake up proud in this country that you're seeing what they're doing is they're doing change for good, you know. And you know there are, there are always, you know, pessimists. There are always people who are you know naysayers who are say, yeah, but how can you? But how this is impossible? That's impossible. I remember, I remember very clearly, vividly, you know, thirty years ago, when Dubai was being built. Everybody was saying, everybody was saying, no way. What are they doing? They're, they're, who's going to come here? Why are they going to come here? What's what's the point? You know. They built. They built a Dubai Inc. They built a brand. You know, we're hungry. We're educated. You know, you've had some phenomenal people on your on your on your show, um, and people see that. And I think you know, if that's not going to change a nation, you know, nothing will. You know, I think that that's going to be super super exciting. And I and I couldn't be more proud to be a part of this 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 positive movement and positive movement for change. Okay. Absolutely. The word alignment uh, comes to mind. Yeah. So, 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 so many different moving parts working in unison. Yeah. For one common goal. Yeah. Vision twenty thirty. Yeah. And I think I think we all understand that. You know. I mean, you understand that. If I if I speak to friends of mine in Riyadh, if I speak to friends, we all feel we're a part of that of that agenda, whether you're in the private sector or whether you're in the public sector, you know, uh, government or a private uh, in company, you feel you're all moving in that direction. I mean, it's a national strategy that every single person knows. You know, how many times, I mean, you, you have a family, how many times have you tried to make a strategy for the summer where you, you, you can barely, you know, agree on something? Here, this is a national strategy, everybody's saying, we, we let's do it and let's come together, yeah. you know. And they're hungry for it. They want to make it happen. They're hungry. Yeah. You know, my friends from Europe visit FII. They come and tell me, you feel the energy. We don't get this in the West, not to mention any country, but they say we don't, We, we you know, when we go to conferences, we don't feel this hunger, this energy that you guys have here. It's this, it's this youth that is just, they, they want to be unleashed, 
you know, it comes back to the the sleeping elephant analogy uh, that that all of a sudden it's awake today. Yeah, and they want to go for it and make yeah. up for any lost time, yeah. if you want to call it that. Yeah, mm. and and it's 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 time. You know, we're we're so we couldn't be more proud. You know, I couldn't be more proud, and I generally generally say that with with uh, with all my um, with all my heart. Yeah. Well, uh, it actually, it leads me to another question. You you have a a deep network of friends. Uh, into, from 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 the international world, I'm sure today they are reaching out to you, messaging you, oh, yeah. emailing you at a far uh, at a far higher rate than they ever did before. Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's just out of interest, not not, not like to like uh, oh get me involved here. No, just out of interest. I want to come. Yeah. I want to come and visit Saudi Arabia. I had to. I literally had to tell them, I'm I'm too busy. In, in November, how about December? I'm too busy. Let's move it to next year. I want to go to Al Ula. I want to go to Red Sea. I want to go. Can you take me? I say I can't. I'm already committed. I can't. You know, but there are so many people um, that are that you know from Japan, from the U.S., from Europe. You know, who want to come and see what's happening. You know, and the summer football transfers only I think added to the number of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was something. Yeah, that was what what happened. Yeah, yeah. What I love about what's happening. You know, they're not thinking about five-year horizon. They're thinking about 20, 30-year horizon, you know. I think today, to, cha- change a cult- to change a country, thinking five years is too short-term. Thinking eight years or 10 years is too... They're thinking, let's talk about 30. Yeah. How can we build 30 years, yeah. you know? And it's that consistency, that patience, um, that uh, perseverance going back to what leadership is to me and that humility that will get you get you there, I think, you know. Thanks, Hassan. I think that's uh, pretty much it for my notes. Um, kept you here for uh, maybe a little, a little longer than I should have. No, it felt, it felt, really, it felt, it felt very easy. Very I enjoyed smooth. this, yeah. I enjoyed this, I enjoyed this story. Me too, me too, Allah. It was um, my first That's crazy. Podcast. That's, that's unbelievable. My first podcast. Don't let it be the last. Wallahi, I'm proud that it's uh, it's with you and it's with somebody in Saudi and somebody Saudi. You know, I think that was, it was saved. I saved it for for like a special moment, you know, and I, and Wallahi, Mo, I, I, um, I, I'm very proud, you know, to see people like you come, you know, you know, because this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for all this change, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, this is, this excites me. You know, I get excited when I, you know, when I see young Saudi entrepreneurs, I get excited when I go to a, you know, one of our, you know, an, an art show, and I see young Saudis, you know, girls and guys looking at art and saying, "What's this? What's that?" And that's curiosity, and that's creating or promoting innovation, and you know, and, and curiosity for for young the young generation. You know, I'm not saying you're super young. How old are you, by the way? Forty last week. A uh, forty, mabruk. Allah barik fi. Okay. I didn't want that to come up in the episode, but okay, we, we, can, we can, <laughs> you can edit it. You can edit it. You can edit it. You, you know, I'm 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 all about realism, and if I feel like I made a mistake in this episode, I'm going to call myself out on. And I did make a mistake in not asking you about the efforts that you guys do with Islamic art. Don't you have a wing at the Victoria and Albert? Uh, yeah, we do. We do. We do. Do you mind if you just touch on the efforts that are? Of course, of course. Now you caught me off guard, so I can't remember the dates exactly. But uh, the Victoria Albert Museum in London, um, you know, my father visited it once in the Islamic Gallery, and you know the expression or the saying that the art is just as beautiful as its frame. You know, 
think it's something along those those lines. If it's an ugly frame, you know, if it's a beautiful frame, it really brings out the work. So there's a lot of artifacts and Islamic, you know, pieces at the V&A, but it was really displayed in a very, um, you know, poor fashion, let's say. So, you know, my father contacted somebody or somebody contacted him and he said, you know, what can we do? And we, we renovated the whole gallery, the whole Islamic section of, of the V&A. And it was in, in, in named after my uh, my grandfather, you know. So it was uh, it was in honor of him, you know. So it's called the Jamil Gallery, the Jamil Islamic. There today, still it's there. It's still there. It will always on be Old Brompton Road in London. Yeah, it's 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 there. It will be there for for a while. Um, it's that's it. It's called the Jamil the Jamil Gallery there. Um, you know, we 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 do other things. You know, I don't know if you know Bocelli. The of course, yeah. So so my father and Bocelli are very close. They're good friends. And we started the scholarship. I think one day he told them, you know, we're not getting enough um, um, sopranos, not sopranos. What do you call them? Tenors or sopranos, or we were we're not. We're, uh, you know, one day Bocelli told him, you know, we're not um, we're not getting, or it's too expensive for people to get into my industry. And then my father said, why don't we do a scholarship program for young um, opera singers? And we started a program with him called. Uh, the Jamil Bocelli Scholarship uh, for young um, for young opera singers, and they go through the, the program in London. And one of the parts of the program, they also sing with Bocelli. Um, and the first, I think, the first or the second was an Egyptian girl. And there was a German girl. Thanks, Hassan. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. Amazing. I never thought I was going to do this, but ah, thank you for being my one hundred. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate. Thank you so much. So I love it. Allah. Thank you so much. Thank you.